Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to 1 John chapter 5. We'll look at verses 13 through 17. Um, So, uh, I'll apologize up front if my voice totally cuts out. I was a little bit sick this week, so... Hopefully that'll make it a little bit less awkward when it actually does. So there's a fellow who lived uh, sometime in the last century, wrote a book on prayer, wrote some other books, pastor uh, named George Buttrick, who says that pastors think people come to church to hear sermons. They don't. They come to pray and to learn to pray. Pastors think, I would like to think that you come to hear my lovely voice, at least when it's not cutting out. Um, think you come to hear church to, uh, come to church to hear sermons, you don't. You come to pray and to learn to pray. And those, uh, that's, you know, language expressed that way for effect. Actually, these things are not mutually exclusive. Uh, Sometimes we learn to pray through sermons. Um, All of what we do in worship kind of has this this ultimate goal of um, prayer or communion. But, I mean, he's got a point, right? The sense in which, there's there's a sense in which uh, all of worship is prayer. Um, Everything that we're doing here is... is, uh, life together in prayer before God. It's a divine human interaction. We're here to commune with God together, to pray together. We're here to learn how to commune with God, um, to learn how to pray, how to live a life of prayer. Most people are not good at prayer. Most people are not comfortable with prayer. Uh, They're not sure what to say in prayer, what to ask for. They're not sure how to think about it or how to feel about it. Um, Even if they kind of think they know how to feel about it. They're not quite sure how to actually make that happen, how to feel the way that they're supposed to when they pray. And we imagine that there must be some sort of secret trick to prayer that uh, we don't know yet. And, you know, there might be some prayer gurus out there who know that trick, and we can learn from them, and then it'll all click, and uh, we will pray well. Um, But I think at the end of the day, we want to know that God hears us, right? We want to know God hears us, uh, we don't often feel like he does. Our experience is often that prayer is difficult, it's confusing, it's discouraging because we can't sense uh, God hearing us. Um, so uh, I think it's a matter of our confidence largely. Uh, how can we have confidence in prayer? God is happy to teach us about prayer. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And in our passage, John is writing us um, with some of the same ideas that Jesus had when he uh, taught his disciples how to pray, he's, he's writing to encourage us in our prayer, to give us confidence. We, we need to see that prayer is truly relational. Prayer really is relational, and um, we'll have confidence in prayer when we have confidence in our relationship with God by his grace, right? Um, so that's what we'll talk about this morning. Let me pray, and then we'll read the passage. <clears throat> Father, your word says, as we're about to hear, um, that we know that you hear us, and we, uh, we don't feel that way uh, when we come to you in our private lives in prayer or when we um, oftentimes meet together for prayer. Um, we're not sure what we're missing. We pray that you would grant us confidence in prayer, even now through your word as it's uh, read and taught that you would help us uh, to live um, a life of prayer, uh, not just in our daily lives, but together now as a congregation. And we pray that you would shape us for that end through your word. 
uh, as your spirit uses it in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So that's a bit of a confusing passage there, but um, take it in order. Uh, A big part of why we don't pray with with confidence is that we misunderstand the nature and the purpose of prayer, right? Um, we, We don't view it as relational. We instinctively view it as transactional. We view prayer as transactional. In fact, um, we view all of our relationships as transactional by nature uh, as sinners, but, but particularly prayer. We ask God for things to make us feel happy. We ask God for things to make us feel safe or to make the circumstances of our lives better, according to our understanding of better. Uh, and we assume that to get what we want, we first have to give God what he wants. That's the transactional view of prayer. In order to get what I want out of God, I've got to give him what he wants. If I can just feel the right way about these prayers, that'll do it, right? That, that's what he wants, is me for, for me to feel the right way while I'm praying. Or if I can just find the right way to articulate these prayers. If I can prove to God how good it would be to answer these prayers, <coughs> then at least I'll feel like he should answer these prayers, uh, whether or not he will is another question, but I'll feel like he should answer these prayers if I get these things right. Um, and it's not easy to have confidence uh, toward God about such prayers because I think somewhere in the back of our minds we realize this is a transactional way of interacting with somebody. Uh, God's not a vending machine. For you to put in the right spiritual currency and press the right buttons in the right order so that he spits out whatever it is you really want. Right? That's not prayer. Um, when you act that way with other people, that's manipulative and that's uh, deceitful and that's disrespectful. I mean, for example, guys, when you put in time listening to your woman and expect that it'll pay off later, you know, uh, you've turned that relationship into a transactional one. And that's something that you might expect in uh, the business world. You anticipate a client's needs. You act in a way that gets them to buy your stuff. Um, you end up getting what you want because you acted a certain way. But that's not how we're supposed to have relationships. And you know that when you act that way in relationships, uh, you, you do instinctively, I think, feel bad about it. <clears throat> Something's wrong when you act nice so that people will like you. When, you. when you perform or when you pretend, in order to get what you want, you've, what you've done is you've placed a higher value on the thing that you want than on the person. You're treating the person like a vending machine, and your relationship is reduced then to your skill at pushing buttons. 
That's what uh, transactional relationships are. It's reduced to my skill at pushing buttons so that I can get what I want out of this person. It's terrible when we do that with other people, uh, but especially when we try to do that with God in prayer. It's, it's the height of self-centered arrogance to think that we could anticipate exactly which song and dance would hit the generosity reflex in God to grant us what we really want. Um, And that's not what John's talking about. When he says in verse 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, now, if you can figure out the mysterious will of God, if you can figure out what he really wants, um, to learn exactly which luxury vehicle he'd be happy for you to have. Right? Uh, and if you ask him in just the right way that makes him happy, then, then he'll hear you and he'll answer you and your wish will be granted. Right? Uh, he's actually merciful to us in not letting us get away with praying like that, in not feeling like this prayer is really prayer. Um, <clears throat> because he wants us to know the depth of a true relationship with him, the, the beauty and the peace and the love and the joy of a true relationship with him. He wants us to know that. He wants us to give up transactional prayer for relational prayer, uh, prayer that isn't just fixated on getting stuff or changing circumstances, but prayer that is aimed at deepening our relational knowledge of God. Right? <clears throat> it says in verses uh, 14 and 15, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So John, I think, is is pretty clearly talking about uh, prayer here the same way Jesus talked about it in Luke 11, in the context of giving the Lord's Prayer, uh, teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Well, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Uh, puts this in the, the context with the illustration of a parent, because God is your heavenly Father, and what he wants for you is to have the Holy Spirit. He wants you to have himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to have a relationship with him. God's will for us is to know him. That's, that's why he gives us his Spirit, is so that we can know him, so we can commune with him. And have a relationship with him. And when we ask for that in prayer, when we focus on that relationship in our prayer, then he absolutely hears and he answers and gives when we ask, seek, knock. Right? Um, he, he answers those prayers by giving himself to us in the person of his spirit. And, um, and this passage is, uh, is about our confidence that we know that he's hearing us. We know that he's answering our prayers uh, for deeper communion with him. And in order to have confidence in a prayer like this, uh, we need confidence that we actually have a relationship with him, that that's what he wants, that, that, uh, that it really is about uh, our communion with him. And, and that is precisely the context in which he's writing about prayer. Right? That's, that's the context of our passage. He says 
in verse 13, the first verse of our text, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Right? That's the purpose statement of the whole letter. Kind of everything that's come to this point, it's like a great purpose statement for the whole letter of 1 John. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Not so that you may have eternal life, so that you may know that you have it. So you can rest assured that you have it. So you can have peace about your relationship with God and confidence in your relationship with God. It is possible for you to know that you have that kind of relationship with God as your father. It's possible for you to know that and have that confidence, which consists of knowing the one true God through Jesus Christ, his son. And we've talked about this uh, over and over again. That's what eternal life is. John uh, records Jesus saying it in uh, in his prayer in John 17, 3, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, I want them to know you. That's eternal life. This, this is eternal life, to know you and Jesus Christ whom you've sent, right? So that's what eternal life consists of and it's possible for you to know that you have it. It's possible for you to have confidence about that relationship with God. Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 16 says, it's possible for us to, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Um, and we're talking about confidence. We're not talking about arrogant presumption. We're talking about being presumptuous, um, as if we deserved to be in God's presence, as if we deserved to be able to draw close to the throne of grace, uh, as if we deserved to boast about our relationship with God because of who we are or what we've done. It's not like that. Confidence is based on God's grace. This kind of confidence about our relationship with, with him uh, Eternal life is based on his grace to us. So Christian boldness, Christian confidence, which is expressed in prayer in our passage, <clears throat> it consists of true humility, right? Uh, confidence and humility go hand in hand for a Christian. Uh, confidence and wonder at how could this possibly be true for me, a sinner? They go hand in hand uh, with the Christian and with prayer. We sing a song, And Can It Be? Um, we sing, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. I walk into heaven and I claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? So that's confidence with humility. It's confidence with wonder, not confidence with arrogant presumption that I deserve the crown that I'm walking, I'm strutting into heaven to, um, <clears throat> to take and claim as my own. How can it be that, that this would come about, this kind of relationship with God where I have complete boldness to enter his presence would come about through this sacrifice, through the sacrifice of his son? By God's grace, as that song goes, Jesus and all in him is yours. Jesus and all in him is yours. Jesus, the Son of God, is yours. He belongs to you like a husband belongs to a wife. That's, that's the language the scripture frequently uses. Jesus belongs to you like a husband belongs to a wife. And it's because of your union with him that everything that's true of him is true of you. Your life is in him. Your your. His life is yours, his inheritance is yours, his relationship with God is yours, and because he's the son of God, his inheritance is yours, and his, his inheritance is God, and his father is your father. If you, if you have faith in him, if you're united to him by his spirit, 
And prayer, then, is natural for those who know God as their Father through Jesus Christ. I mean, if that whole concept of how to have a relationship with God seems good to you, and you've put your faith in Christ, and you, um, you want eternal life that consists of knowing God the Father through Jesus His Son, then prayer becomes natural for you, especially relational prayer, prayer to get to know God more. Prayer to be able to delight more in God. Um, David Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the essence of true prayer, the essence of true prayer is found in these two words, our Father. Our Father. If you can say from your heart, whatever your condition, our Father, then in a sense your prayer is already answered. That's the essence of prayer. Our Father. And if you can say that, your prayer's already answered. Right? Um, Sinclair Ferguson says that this is what prayer really means. Knowing that we have a secure relationship with God in which we can address him in the knowledge that he cares and he has the power to aid us. Right? Prayer is the relationship that we have with God where we know, we rest in uh, assurance and peace and confidence that God is our Father, he really cares for us, and he can do Whatever, uh, whatever is best for us to aid us. He can do it because he's powerful. And John goes on to talk about the ramifications of this kind of relational prayer. Uh, <clears throat> he says in verses 16 and 17, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death, I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. That's a really confusing passage uh, for us. John's talking about intercessory prayer. Pretty simply, he's talking about praying for non-believers, that they would be forgiven, that they would be granted new life, uh, eternal life, life that consists in knowing the one true God through Jesus Christ, his son. It's the result of the prayer is that God will give this person life, it says in verse 16. And this kind of prayer expresses concern that other people would know the Father the same way we know the Father, through faith in Jesus. And if praying, on, uh, if praying for your own relationship with God to deepen, your own confidence uh, in your relationship with God to deepen, and your delight in him to deepen, then you will pray for others. If you pray that for yourself, you will pray it for others. That's what it says. Uh, he shall ask, and God will give this person life. Uh, you'll pray for others like Paul prayed for his Jewish brothers to be saved in Romans 10. Paul's always praying, other, uh, praying prayers for other people in his letters in the New Testament. Now, it's confusing. It's a little bit confusing, maybe discouraging to us, this concept of sin that leads to death. What is that? Sin that does not lead to death. What is that? Um, it can be discouraging to us because we're prone to question our salvation. We ask ourselves, did I commit that sin? Um, I need to know what that sin is so that I stay away from that one. I'm not sure if I might have already committed the sin that leads to death. And it makes you doubt, right? Uh, that's kind of the opposite point of John's letter here. He's, he's writing to encourage you in your faith, to give you assurance about your faith, but uh, not false assurance. Not false assurance. He says that all wrongdoing is sin, 
And we know that all sin is worthy of death. I mean, it's pretty clear from the scriptures, um, eating a fruit is worthy of death if it's a sin, if it's something God commanded us not to do. Um, All sin is worthy of death. In fact, Paul makes this clear. He says the wages of sin is death. It's like what you get paid when you sin is death. That's what's coming to you. All wrongdoing is sin, and all sin is worthy of death. But not all sins actually result in your eternal spiritual death. That's what this is talking about. If you sin, you can sin in any way imaginable. You can sin in any way imaginable, but if you turn to Christ for forgiveness, you'll receive forgiveness, and you will not die eternally. You'll have eternal life. Um, you can sin in any way, but, but if you turn to Christ for forgiveness, you'll receive it. But if you sin against God by refusing to come to, to Christ, by refusing to come to his Son for mercy, then you won't receive mercy. Um, if you want mercy, if you want relationship with God as your Father through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, then you'll have it. If you want that, you'll have it. But if you persist in resolute, unrepentant rejection of Jesus Christ and his gospel, the good news about how to be reconciled to God through him, if you persist in rejecting that, then that's a sin that leads to death in the, in the sense that John is using it here. Uh, there's no coming back from that. Um, and about such people, this is uh, maybe a bit frightening, uh, he doesn't even encourage prayer. Right? That's terrifying. Uh, he doesn't forbid prayer for these people, but he doesn't encourage it. Right? Uh, he says, I don't, I don't say you should pray for such. That's terrifying, but it reminds us of what Jesus himself said. I mean, being in relationship with God is a matter of life and death. And he said to his disciples in Matthew 10, as they went out proclaiming God's kingdom of grace, sharing the peace of Christ, sharing his peace with people wherever they went, He said, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, then shake the dust off of your feet when you leave that house or town. Um, And if that bothers you because it doesn't seem fair, if it bothers you because, you know, you feel like you probably deserve better treatment by God than that, uh, then you're not quite understanding God's grace yet. He doesn't have to save anyone who has turned away from him and sinned, especially not at the cost of the life of his own son. But if this, uh, if this kind of warning worries you, if you struggle with assurance because you know that you don't deserve God's love and you're worried that maybe you have committed too great of a sin for God to forgive you, then you're actually in a great place. You're in the perfect place. You are ready to throw yourself on Jesus for mercy, and you should do it. You should uh, abandon your hope of finding righteousness in yourself and what you've done or not done, and you should throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ uh, right now. You should trust that he has mercy for you. He came to live and to die for you. How much more assurance of his love is even possible? How much more assurance could we have than that, than the Son of God coming into the world to live for you and to die for you? So you need to pray and ask him to give you his spirit. Ask for a deep relationship with him that's based on his gracious love, and he will surely give it to you. You know that he hears that, and you know that he answers that. 
close with a quote from Calvin. Let us therefore entertain no doubt that God is willing to receive us graciously, that he is ready to listen to our prayers. In a word, that of himself, he is disposed to aid us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, as we look for confidence in our prayer, we pray that you would grant us confidence in our relationship with you. We have everything we need uh, in your word and by your spirit who's been given to us. Uh, We have everything that we need to have confidence in our relationship with you because you've loved us and you've given your son Jesus for us and we have the testimony of it clearly in your word. And so we pray that you would help us to believe it. Uh, We believe, help our unbelief. Help us to connect with you in that relationship in such a way that you become the greatest desire of our hearts so that all of our prayers are oriented toward uh, you, toward knowing you, toward others knowing you, that uh, the, the mutual knowledge of the Trinity itself, which is the foundation for all of reality, would become true in our reality, that uh, it would become the greatest delight of our own hearts and everyone that we know to commune with you in prayer and you with us. We pray that this would uh, be true for us increasingly as we go from here, but uh, even especially now as we come to you and uh, look for communion with you through this table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.